Welcome to the Books We Loved podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today, I am here with Kate from our Youth Services Department. Hello. Hello. And Manda, of course. Hey. And we are talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, the 2017 true crime sort of journalistic exploration, best-selling book by David Gran. Uh, we'll give you a little synopsis of that in a second. So I think we all read the book. Um, and then, of course, there's the movie coming out. Uh, this weekend that directed by Martin Scorsese. So we thought it would be a good time to kind of revisit the book, revisit the story. We obviously haven't been able to see the movie yet, but we are excited too. So we're getting ready to go see the movie. Like good librarians, we read the book first. Exactly. Yeah. Got that right. Mm-hmm. Amanda, you want to hit us up with a synopsis? Sure. So um, Killers of the Flower Moon, the Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI is a true account of the early 20th century murders of dozens of wealthy Osage uh, persons. Um, because at that time, which we'll discuss more, the um, Osage Nation in Oklahoma sat on oil land. And because of that, they became some of the wealthiest people in the country, the Osage people, which led folks around that area to make the decision to murder these um, Osage Indians to get their land, get the money for the oil. And um, it became such an issue that the early FBI under J. Edgar Hooker got Hoover Hooker. (laughs) (laughs) Under J. J. Edgar Hoover got involved and the book kind of follows uh, the murders, follows specific families and um, some local law folks as well as the FBI. And you kind of see how they intertwine. And at some points, even FBI gets things a little bit muddled, I would say. And uh, yeah, so I hope that's a good enough synopsis without given away too, too much. Yeah, that's great. Kate, you wanted to talk about this book. Why did you choose it for the podcast? This book is such uh, an important book. It's a, it's a devastating book. Um, We were talking about, it's a nonfiction book that reads like a fiction book full of plot twists and foreshadowing and irony and, and everything and down to the character's characters the people's actual names that if if the if this was a fiction book we would be applauding the author for Uh the names he chose um Mm. but it's an important important part of American history because if we don't learn from American history we're doomed to repeat it it's just a devastating story and the fact that they're making a movie about it and I did see Martin Scorsese in an interview talking about it and I I really think he's going to do justice to this book which is going to be amazing and long. The movie, I think, is like three and a half hours long. Oh, wow. I, I hope there's an intermission. I know right? you don't get an intermission anymore. It just feels so classy to have an intermission. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so I, too, watched an interview. I actually watched a panel interview with the actors and Martin Scorsese and Chief Standing Bear, who is the current chief of the Osage Nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Really good. I highly recommend it if you want to watch that before you go see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, okay, so this this was a film that was interrupted by COVID. They talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. It was actually supposed to come out before The Irishman, but because of all these COVID complications and other things that they had to do with like technology and things like that, Martin Scorsese talks about it a little bit. They kind of had to push it out. So it was kind of a, a challenging movie to film it was filmed in 
um, an, on an Osage reservation. And they actually talked about getting vaccinated at the Osage Clinic for COVID, and they thanked the people for vaccinating Lily Gladstone, who's my new she plays Molly, the lead character in the movie, who mm-hmm. I think she's so cool. And she was so cool when she talked in the the interview too. Um, mentioned that the Osage Health Clinic was like a star-studded place for about like a week. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> it's like Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese are the big names that are kind of lifting up this movie. Anyway, so one of the reporters mentioned that the movie originally was framed like kind of like a traditional cop story or a traditional kind of hero investigator story Mm -hmm. it started with the fbi coming in and sort of whodunit sort of style solving this mystery Mm -hmm. and during covid martin scorsese had time to kind of pause and look at the script and really think about whether or not that was truly the heart of this book and he decided to make the Osage more of the the heart of the story. These human, yes, people. as it should be, right? Yeah, people yes. were all sort of celebrating that in the interview. So in the book, so you feel like that, like who who are the characters that you feel like are the main characters, the heart of this story? I do feel like the the uh, First Nations people in the Os- Osage. Uh, tribe are the ones who are the main characters in this book molly burkhart and her husband and the the bad guys i don't know if we're i mean it's a non-fiction book i don't know if we're naming names but the ones involved and ones is very very plural because there are so many people involved but i think the author did a really good job of of making sure that this was a story about the Osage Indians and a little bit about how the FBI sort of got started with this case. Mm-hmm. So he didn't focus as much on the FBI. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he didn't. He just didn't make it a whole story about the FBI mm-hmm. and J. Edgar Hoover. He made it a story about the tragedy that happened to these poor people yeah. at the hands of a bunch of greedy powerful people yeah yeah and it's interesting to think too who was behind these murders they were pretty clumsy as far as like serial killings go Mm -hmm. um i read a great article that put it in context where it was sort of a a, compared to nowadays a more lawless place the sheriffs they were untrained they were often very corrupt yes Mm -hmm. Uh, easily bought Easily bought. I think one, they were like running a brothel out of the sheriff's department. So Stay they, classy. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, so um, I watched an interview with David Gran and he talked about, he said that uh, the two sort of forces at play that made these murders happen uh, were greed and racism. So yes. the greed wanting yep. this money and the racist idea that the Osage people didn't deserve it somehow. Yes. Not only that they didn't deserve it, when it was, it, they were driven to this mm-hmm. little corner of land yes. where, yeah. where you know. People were just minding their own business. and the, 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 the white man, quote unquote, white man was just like, look, you have to get off this land. We're going to put yeah. you over in this little corner. This horrible and, piece of land nobody else wants. Right. 
And they went there, and then lo and behold, there's a bunch of oil underneath that land. And mm-hmm. suddenly, just the 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 way they were treated is absolutely horrible. Um, with the guardianships, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like the the government decided that they weren't competent enough to deal with their own money and spend their own money and mm-hmm. take care of their own money. So they had these guardians. Um, who were always white people, of course, and who were just also themselves flat out stealing from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the fact that you're 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 pushed down to be—I don't, I don't even want to say second class, even lower than that—citizen, uh, citizen. I put in quotations as well because you're not really being treated like a citizen at all, and sort of every you know you get an allowance you're being treated like Mm -hmm. a child who's getting a very small allowance and even from that allowance your parents or somebody are taking some of that money Mm -hmm. um and we sort of talked about too how the the media i mean i guess the media has sort of done this sort of thing forever but but just the media with certain headlines that david grand talks about in the book just sort of fueling that that prejudice fire against mm-hmm. First Nations people mm-hmm. with the headlines about what they're wearing and what they're driving. And, yeah. you know, it's it's like, well, it's their money. You force them to this land. And, and, you know, it's like the older sibling who my daughter used to do this. She She had this beautiful dollhouse and her little brother would want to play with it. And so she'd create this little Kleenex box house for him, you know, <laughs> and she'd really try to sell it to him like this is a great house. But then sometimes she would sell it so well that afterwards she wanted the Kleenex box house. And so then she was trying to kick him off. You know, that's what it's like. Like we're pushing you to this part mm-hmm. of the land. Oh, now this part of the land has a bunch of oil. So now we want control of that. It's mm-hmm. it's um, it's just unreal. It's it's such a dark um a dark part of american history a dark Mm. part of the history of capitalism in america i guess Mm. just a jealousy that i think was even like you said was fueled by racism right reading this book it made me think of um what happened on black wall street this idea that people marginalized groups right african-americans Native peoples, that we give them, we allow them certain things at these points in our history. And then when they make the best of their situation or they're lucky enough to be on land that has oil, we have to come in and we have to take it because they're not good enough for those things, right? Right. And like you said, Kate, we have to read these stories. We have to hear these stories, especially about marginalized folks in our history because we are doomed to repeat this stuff Mm -hmm. if we're not careful and... Um, it is part of our history and very important part that we learn about. Um, Martin Scorsese had such a great quote when he said that this isn't really a who done it, it's a who didn't do it. Right. Because so many people, so many of the murders aren't even technically solved because they didn't even bother to look into them. Um, and there was, you know, some people did get punished for this but there were so many other people involved but it wasn't just unfortunately it wasn't just one person involved in the 
masterminding of this. It was a lot of people, a lot right. of really great, a lot of people who already had so much money and mm-hmm. just wanted more money. You know, there was an example in the book of someone who bought a house just full of all of these things that nobody really needs in their house. And then he sort of got tired of the house and he just left it and went off and got another house. Like just the amount of money that was being splashed around was Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. Yeah, you make a good point about the numbers being off. The FBI listed 27 people murdered. David Grand talked about how it's much more likely that it was in the scores or even the hundreds. Mm -hmm. So many people. Yes, were dying and at first the Osage obviously couldn't figure out why people were being poisoned they're being shot um they're you know this Molly Burkhart who is this really interesting character at the center of the story I mean she's a person where I'm saying character in terms of the book but she was a real person um at the center of the story was systematically losing her sisters and yes. I mean as someone who has sisters that just gutted me as a human story to think about you know you losing these people who are so close to you and then I get emotional when I talk about this part Chief Standing Bear was talking about how the loss of the people were so uh was so affecting but also they're also losing their culture and their language and Mm -hmm. yes these people who could have passed it on yes because like a good example was the the funerals every time the funerals for these people and and molly talked about how as as more and more funerals went on there was fewer people there to do the special prayer that they like to do because they just didn't it hadn't been passed down yet and 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 those who didn't lose their lives they Mm -hmm. really lost they they didn't have a great quality of life they became so fearful molly herself became so fearful Mm -hmm. went from being this just vibrant out in society hosting all these luncheons to pretty much a recluse in her house for fear of and someone's going to kill her. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Believe that. And I think yeah. it's hard for people like us, sort of white, privileged American, North American people. Thank you. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> um, to really think about what it would be like for, to lose your culture. Our culture is so everywhere, you know, our right. culture, but to think about losing, you know, if you're religious, your religion to die out, this thing that might, bring you this sort of spiritual sense and connection with other people, all your books, all your, you know, yes, that all of this that we hold so dear that makes us feel human to die out. I I mean, I don't think we can imagine the devastating loss of that. Mm -mm. And they also talk about um, the ways that white Americans at the time were trying to make that culture die out trying to make people yes. assimilate trying mm-hmm. do they talk about molly going to the boarding school yes okay yes they do talk about the residential schools um and and her having to go and mm-hmm. actually one of the actors william bellow i believe is the way you say his name he plays henry roan in the movie oh, right. um and both of his parents are resident school survivors. He grew up in a on a reservation in British Columbia. And so we we sort of 
I tend to as well think of this as like, oh, this is way in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, it was so long ago, but the ripple effect is still happening. Like an actor in this movie, his parents, not his grandparents, not his great grandparents, his own parents were survivors of residential schools, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, it just shows you it was not that long ago. It really wasn't. No, it wasn't. So oil was discovered in the 1890s, but the mm-hmm. real boon was in the 10s and 20s. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, by the 1920s, the you know 2200 Osage people became the richest people in the world per capita. I mean, my grandmother was born in 1919, so it's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my grandmother. Right. You know, she was born into that kind of community. And it was, it's really crazy to think that things were so kind of, while you know the FBI didn't exist, yet. right? Yeah. Exactly. That it is crazy. It feels a long, like it feels long ago, but it doesn't. Right? Twenties. Yeah. It's a hundred years ago, but what's a hundred years in the blip of our history? Right? right? Right. Right. Going back to what you were saying, Kate, I just I think that's the part that devastated me the most about this book is um, I feel like as a person on this reservation, I would it would be so frustrating to me. I'm trying to put myself in the in the I always try and put myself in the role of the person in the book, right? So as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, okay, this person must be relieved maybe that their families have made it through all the things that we've done to the Native people at this time. There were all these massacres. There were these um, these movements that the government put in place where we moved you from one area to the other. You've lost your, you've lost your communities homeland you've been moved you've been sent to these boarding schools which you know the whole purpose of our government setting these up is to make it so that you you lose your culture and become yes. just a u.s citizen yes. we cut your hair we tell you, you can't speak your language anymore you have to speak english we start teaching you about everything that is good what we consider good as a government and it is not your tribal things and so i keep thinking they must be like relieved that they've made it this far and their family still exists and there's still people of the Osage nation. And then this happens. And I just think how terrible and how much, yes. how overwhelmed you must feel. Yes. That something is, is happening every generation to your family. I just, that, I don't know. I'm, I'm not very articulate this no. morning. I'm very tired, but <laughs> I just can't get over how awful that would feel. Yes. Yeah. In that interview, the Cannes Film Festival, Chief Standing Bear talked about, he said, and watch it yourselves to listen to what he said, because um, I thought he was, what he said was really beautiful, but he said the heart of the story is trust and betrayal. So, um, you know, of course, like you're saying, by this point, the Native people were used to being betrayed by the white people that they trusted. And something else that he said that was really beautiful was that he felt he trusted Martin Scorsese and the filmmakers that made that turn the story into film, the non-Native people who turned the story into a movie. He trusted that they would do it justice, and he felt like he hadn't been betrayed. So there's this constant, it just even made me think about the nature of trust, how it is just like a moving moving target, it's never done. Like right. you're always kind of vacillating between trust and betrayal, even with people that you very much trust, yeah. you trust that they won't betray you, and it's just kind of like you just kind of wait and hope. Right. Um, and then he talked a bit about how the movie... 
uh, was filmed among the Osage people. Mm-hmm. Um, they the extras were Osage. They employed Osage people to make costumes, mm-hmm. to work with the actual tech filmmaking process. I don't okay. know anything about film, so. Um, and then they when there's Osage spoken in the film, it is real and good. Um, also consider what it would be like if you had if you spoke an endangered language to see it um, captured like yeah. that right. on film that it How will powerful. live on in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird side note, but related to our conversation. So, Library of Congress periodically goes and saves things of cultural relevance every couple. I think every year, every couple of years, they say, "Okay, these films are going in the Library of Congress archives." So we have a copy always be in our history have they ever done something like that library of congress for languages that are endangered oh good question okay library of congress has a page called the endangered language alliance ela look at you so i just go let me see what it is thank you i would have googled it before we started but the question just kind of popped up in my head i'm like are we Doing another, our due diligence and saving what we're losing. Another fun side note while we're talking about the Library of Congress, J. Edgar Hoover actually, before he was the head of the FBI, worked at the Library of Congress, mm-hmm. was a big fan of the Dewey Decimal System oh, and I that sort of classification. Mm-hmm. And that's how he ran the FBI after, you know, when he became the head of the FBI, he decided it needed this classification system and how you were going to file things, and which I'm sure was a very... Uh, annoying, but helpful. Annoying, but a big advantage <laughs> for, you know, for the, the uh, agents. But um, I found that interesting that mm-hmm. I had no idea he had worked for the Library of Congress prior to becoming the... I only knew that because I did a Library of Congress tour Last time I was in D.C. Nice. and they told us that they're like famous people who have worked here. Like, OK, <laughs> then. And they said it just like that. Famous people who have worked here. <laughs> Please cut all of this, Olivia. OK, so I don't know about the Library of Congress, but there is a page, a nonprofit called the Endangered Language Alliance, ELalliance.org. It says Forging a Future for Languages, founded in 2010 the Endangered Language Alliance is a nonprofit dedicated to documenting indigenous, minority, and endangered languages, supporting mm-hmm. linguistic diversity in New York City and beyond. Very cool. Now, there is a page about it on the Library of Congress website, but I don't know if they are affiliated or if the Library of Congress just is helping them sort of document it. Okay. But it looks like there's a bunch of research on here and a bunch of information. So that would be a, I'm going to have to be looking into that. Just for fun. Yes. Very cool. They have a bunch of cool stuff. They're working on a lot of projects. Cool. I'm glad you asked that. Well, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) It's the only thing I'm contributing today. (laughs) Offered other than tiredness. All I can talk about, I guess, is this Cannes Film Festival (laughs) interview. This It really, (laughs) this panel interview, it really affected me. Uh, I was particularly... Impressed by Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly Burkhart in this story. She speaks after Leonardo DiCaprio speaks on something. He um, was talking about kind of working with the Osage people. And I think at some point he calls them like anthropologists. Oh. And not like, not like they're 
<laughs> okay. qualified anthropologist, okay. but that was like, I think it was like an anthropological interest in this culture that they okay. had. <laughs> um, and Lily Gladstone sort of pushes back and just convinces me that she's going to win an Oscar and be a star just from this little speech that she gives. And she talks about, um, she kind of pushes back and she says, you know, I'd actually like to give you and the film more credit than that. Um, she says native people are really used to anthropologists coming in and being very curious about them and their culture mm-hmm. and taking the sort of academic approach that there's a difference between this anthropological curiosity about a culture and an artist who, um, actually wants to tell a human story yes. about real people and sort of not focusing so much on like these cultural differences and actually thinking about these people as people. What are, and I may have already asked this, and I'm sorry if I did, what are some of the human stories? We've talked about Molly and her sisters. What are some of the human stories in this book that were particularly affecting for you? I The character that I just absolutely, a character, the person that I absolutely loved was um, Tom White, who um, is the... Uh, Texas Ranger that J. Edgar Hoover sort of handpicks to lead this investigation um, when the FBI takes over this investigation. So J. Edgar Hoover is going to is is trying to make this case his 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 first big case that gets solved, tied up with a nice bow, and it's going to launch him uh, to become this absolutely popular you know, powerful man in the country. Mm. And so he, it's, it's kind of, um, it's interesting that after this case, this very high profile case, the, the first big case of the FBI, um, in which he had handpicked a team of, of, you know, Texas Rangers. Um, he did have, he reluctantly, um, allowed an, uh, I guess, agent in quotations, um, a man who was, I cannot, uh, John for, Red. yeah, I can't, forgive me. I can't remember if he's full blood first nation or, or half blood, but, um, he allowed this man to be in the investigation. He allowed Tom White to be able to sort of pick some other people mm-hmm. that, Afterwards, you know, after he had his, J. Edgar Hoover had his fame because this case was so successful, he essentially got rid of all of these people um, because they weren't um, going to now fit the the face of the FBI that he wanted to show. He wanted to show these white, college-educated, golf-playing, you know, men who all look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was going to be the face of the FBI, uh, but the the actual team that solved this case were were none of those things. They mm-hmm. were they were just sort of a riffraff group of people. That's a good expression for it. Yeah, um, it you know, a motley crew, yeah. motley crew of people that that really were just good to the core, and they just wanted justice for the Osage Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom White was, uh, David Grant really gets into, I, I think he does a good job telling us about Tom White 
and his character and sort of his background, his father was a warden at a jail. And so Tom White grew up, you know, they lived in the jail, you know, and he, he grew up right next to the prisoners and watching his, the way his dad treated the prisoners and just watching his dad never treat anyone differently from anyone else. You know, he talked about how the prison was full of, you know, white men, black men, Mexican men, and his father never treated anybody any different. They Mm. were all treated exactly the same. And Tom White took that to heart and that's the way he lived his life. He, he always treated, even after this case was finished and he was sort of, I guess, not fired from the FBI, but he was given a different job that was sort of, you know, wrapped up like this is a promotion, you know, and he became a warden of less, I think the biggest jail at the time in the U S. Um, but he ran the jail, exactly as his father did he didn't when when the two people that he had helped um get convicted for these crimes so he was so invested in this case and these two people came to his jail and he had the power he was the warden but Mm -hmm. he didn't treat them any differently than he treated any of the other prisoners and he treated the prisoners so well that one of them actually spoke to David Grant or or spoke to somebody, maybe not David Grant, um, but he spoke in an interview about how Tom White just changed his life and made him realize he can be more than just mm-hmm. this outlaw. And he, when he got out of jail, uh, actually became an author and a businessman and just sort of turned his whole life around because because this one person had treated him well and yeah. had treated him as somebody who could be a good person. Um, so he, I have to say is, is one of my most favorite people from this story because he, he took this job, which was a very dangerous job. Um, and he knew it was dangerous and he knew that others who had been investigating this had all mysteriously disappeared or been found dead. And he has a wife and he has two children and, you know, he doesn't want to make his wife a widow. He doesn't yeah. want to make his children orphans. But this case was so important. And he he just, he wanted justice for the Osage Nation. And so he took the job anyways and was just such a good person all the way up until there's an example where he is, um, some people escape from his jail Mm -hmm. and they use him as a human shield and they kidnap him Mm -hmm. and eventually they shoot him and he survives and even as he's in the hospital barely surviving he sends a note because the prisoners had been recaptured he sends a note to the warden at the jail and says do not treat them any differently because even at that time we know we hear stories now about you know criminals who do things to a police officer Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes things are a little rougher for them in Mm -hmm. the jail yeah not all the time um but you know anytime you have that power yes you have people with power people are going to abuse power that's just going to happen we're humans and that's what happens um but he made sure to send a a note from the hospital bed saying Mm -hmm. 
don't treat them any differently. I don't want them roughed up. I don't want them, you know. So he is one of my most favorite people, along with Molly Burkhart. I mean, she, what she went through, I I don't even know how she mentally survived. Like just watching your family get picked get off. picked off one by one by different means you know yes. whether they're shot whether they're poisoned um whether their house is blown out while they're sleeping in bed just watching your family and and just the fear of knowing that i'm yeah i'm going to be now na- i mean i'm the only one left yeah. so and and she she's she's an intelligent person she knew that the only way that at that time you could get head rights to these to this oil money was through inheritance Mm -hmm. and so in the book you eventually start to see that someone is making sure that her husband who is a white man is because every time one of her sisters or her mom was killed she she accumulated their inheritance so then when she's the only one left She's got a lot of people's inheritance that are going to go to the next person. Mm-hmm. David Grant mentions over and over again that she has diabetes, yes. which is, you know, it's tough to have now, but I can imagine it'd be way worse to have, you know, a hundred years ago, a hundred years. Oh, and stress just makes your numbers go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, you know, she was, she was the one who was meant to die first. This was this sort of family understanding that she sure. was the yes. feeble one. She would go first she was sick and then the sort of cruel irony of all of her sisters dying before she did Mm -hmm. that he just keeps kind of repeating that over and over and you understand the vulnerable sort of position that she's in Mm -hmm. she has all this money she's sick yes and um that that brings to my mind also just the tr- the trust that people put in doctors, yeah. mm-hmm. the trust we put in doctors now, the trust mm-hmm. that people put in doctors then, and so when she you know was sort of hiding herself in her house and the only people she would see were the doctors who were coming in to quote unquote treat her for her diabetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's two. I think the two most chilling things to me about the book. Is that the calls coming from inside the house kind of yes. betrayal of these figures that are supposed to be in place to take care of you? You know, your police department, your doctor, and then your because family this, members. Yeah, this is an inheritance yes. scam. The yeah, your your family, the people who would be inheriting your money. Mm-hmm. That that is the most sinister thing to yes. me. Yes, the betrayal like, is. Yeah. I don't know how you trust somebody ever again. No, after this, yeah. me neither. I don't know how you don't just lash out in court. I don't. I don't know how she so serenely sat there and yes, and listened to this betrayal. Yeah, that she. I think part of her knew, but didn't want to admit. Yeah. Um. I think just a little tiny part of her deep down had a suspicion at least maybe let's right. say that, but she didn't want to believe it. And then to just to not only have to find it out, but to have to find it out in such a public way yeah. in front of everybody and everyone's finding out, you know, and looking at you and, um, you know, you go from being in your house alone all the time to now everybody looking at specimen. you. Yes. 
your for to to check your every reaction to every single thing that's being said in this courtroom and yeah. just being watched as you walk down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, just the a pillar of strength basically is is what she is, and um, and I know that she ha- she tried her best, and and she always had in her mind um, just going back to wanting to preserve her family's traditions and and her you know the Osage nation everything about it you know it's it's language it's traditions it's songs she wanted to preserve that Mm -hmm. um she wanted to be what the Osage nation called a traveler in the mist which um basically was um a term for a person in the clan that would take the lead whenever the tribe was venturing into sort of um, unfamiliar realms, Mm. you know? So she became, she, a self-appointed traveler in the mist. Um, And I, they also, the, the uh, Osage people thought of Tom White as a traveler in the mist, you know, he, he sort of came in and, became he took the lead to sort of lead them out of this dark part of their history um and so he was a traveler in the mist I just like that term I like it too that's beautiful I like too um the the um sort of going off on a tangent but the the title of the book I think and the meaning behind that is is um brilliant and again beautiful and sad all at the same time Mm -hmm. um because of the flower moon in May, um, the Osage people called it the flower moon because as spring turned to summer, some of the, the, the smaller, you know, kind of, I can't remember the names of these little blue flowers, but as it turned to summer, the taller flowers would um, begin to creep over the smaller ones and steal their light and steal their water. And mm-hmm. so the smaller flowers then would die and and get put back into the ground while these taller ones flourished um and because of this phenomenon that's why may the month of may is known as the the time of the the flower moon and the killing of the flower moon so cool um and then i also just wanted to add about the movie i would be remiss not to mention that robbie robertson my fave my erstwhile crush from ages 16 to 19 <laughs> um and did the soundtrack for this if you like rock and roll music and you don't know the band it's just called the band robbie robertson is a songwriter and a guitarist in that band please check it out he died earlier this year i'm still in mourning um but i'm bravely kind of just getting through day by day thanks for not wearing your black morning dress today yeah i have finally moved on to dark green and, I, and a black veil which is interesting combination yeah, well, <laughs> from what I've read, he does just an exceptional job on the music. The music is well. very cool. Yeah, but he and Marty, Marty, you know, my my friend Marty Scorsese, <laughs> uh, <laughs> were best friends. Um, if you are interested in the music, if you like Martin Scorsese and you haven't watched The Last Waltz, that's just one of my favorite movies ever. It's a... Um, a concert, the last concert uh, of the band. There's Dr. John, there's uh, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Neil Young. I mean, it's just this like star studded Van Morrison concert. in that, Van Neil Morrison. Diamond, too, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's 
that was a special moment. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, the Van Morrison does his little kicks in a little red jumpsuit. You got to see that. Amazing. Have you seen it? I have not seen oh, it, but see I'm going it. to see it now. Everybody's going to I see have seen it several times. <laughs> you see the Hashtag my 20s. Yeah. Okay, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie comes out October 20th in theater. So go see it. Give us, shoot us an email after you see it to let us know what you think at podcast at troypl.org. Thanks for so being it's here, It's such Kate. a good book. We want, we want everyone to book. read it. And then, like you said, email us and tell us what you think. Email us and let us know when we're all going to see the movie together. Don't make it weird. Yeah. Don't make it weird. We're Don't all make going. it weird. We're going. By yeah, the way, you're not allowed to judge me on how much popcorn I eat at the movie theater. <laughs> Never would. Elliot's galore. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.